Well, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today, and um, I want to see a show of hands. How many of you know somebody that's difficult to love? Raise your hand. Now, don't point at them, but just how many of you know people that are difficult to love? Yeah, certainly. I think the number of people that are difficult to love has only increased over the last two years because of all this craziness that we've been going through. I mean, with the pandemic and then the politics and then certainly the presidential election uh, last year, I think all of that has really created a perfect storm of strained relationships in marriages, in families, in extended families, in, you know, at work and even in your neighborhood. And so this relational tension often surfaces, especially during the holiday season. And uh, it's really because we're in proximity with um, so many of these relationships that are strained. And, and so part of the stress of the holiday season is just trying to keep the peace, right? Just trying to make everybody happy and keep people from yelling at each other and that kind of thing. And so uh, as I was planning out this series, I was just asking some people, what is it that stresses you out the most about uh, the holiday season? And by far, everybody said it was unanimous, relationships, no question about it. Just dealing and managing with relationships. And a lot of it has to do with what I would call the, an unholy trinity, not the Holy Trinity, not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the unholy Trinity. What, what are the two things that you're never supposed to talk about at the dinner table? Politics and religion, right? And I would add a third, I would add a third, science. Um, I don't know about you, but two years ago, I didn't know anybody that was an expert in science but now everybody is an expert in science. Have you guys figured that out? You listen to a podcast, you watch a couple of YouTube videos, and I mean everybody's an expert on everything related to science. And so, so the pandemic and then the politics and then the politics of the pandemic has really made us as a people meaner and meaner. It really has. Um, someone has said that we're living in the age of rage, that we are... Uh, we live in an age of perpetual offense. H have you noticed how easily people get offended today? Have you noticed how quick to become angry people really are? Uh, have you noticed how people are so quick to condemn and, and how, how quickly people will discard a relationship, just dispose of it, just walk away? A friendship that has lasted for years, just absolutely walk out of it and discard it. And it seems like we've lost the ability to disagree agreeably. Seems like we've just completely lost that. And, and, it, and for a lot of people, they would just rather live offended. That's their choice. They, they would rather be offended than anything else. And so here's the thing, church. If you're on a continual search to be offended, you will always find what you're looking for. If you're on a continual search to be angry and bitter and hurt over something, you will always find what you're looking for. There's no shortage of stuff out there to be angry and to be hurt over and to be offended and to be wrong. There's just no shortage. But here's the thing, church. What good comes out of that? Like, what does that really accomplish, living offended everywhere we go? Like, I've never heard anybody say, you know, I am angry 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I've just never been more productive than I am right now. I'm just so angry, and I've just never been happier than I am right now. I've just never heard anybody really say that because 
Because living, living offended is just dumb. I mean, it really is, is just dumb, and it doesn't get us anywhere. You know, I heard one pastor say it this way, being offended is inevitable, but living offended is a choice. You know, living, you know getting hurt is inevitable. We're going to get hurt. If you've got a pulse today, you're probably going to get hurt. It's just a matter of time. But wallowing and living and just giving yourself over to that hurt, that's a choice. That's a choice that you really make. And so, and so really we're in this series called All is Calm. We're in week two of this series and, and we're doing this series because during this time of year, all is not typically calm uh, for, for most of us. And so I think the question really becomes, how do we have calm in a chaotic relationship? How do we live at peace in a world that's filled with rage, in a world that is so divided, um, in a world so much filled with acrimony, how do, we, how do we have peace in these relationships? How do we navigate these relationships? And I think the answer, and you already know what I'm gonna say, and the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, the gospel is the answer. And we have to go back to it time and time again. We really do. I, I think a lot of Christians misunderstand the gospel. They think, they think the gospel is only for non-Christians. They, they think the gospel is only for non-believers. And then like once you come to Christ, once you become a Christian, you can kind of graduate from the gospel, you know what I mean? And move on to deeper things, you know what I mean? And deeper things of the faith. And that is really, really a huge mistake because as Christians, here's the, here's the truth, church. We never graduate from the gospel. As believers, we need the gospel even more, especially when it comes to our relationships and loving very difficult people in our life. And so in the passage that we're going to look at today, the Apostle Paul is writing to some Christians in Rome, and he's challenging these Christians in Rome, and really these, these Christians in central Indiana, he's challenging them to go all in for God, to just, to not hold back, to offer themselves as a, as a living sacrifice to God, just to go all in, you know, no holds barred at all, and to consecrate your, your, your whole life to God in faith, hope, and love. That, that's really what he's challenging to do. And then what he does right after that is he gives us a picture. He paints a portrait, if you will, of what it looks like in our relationships to live consecrated to God. And uh, he gives us about, he gives us a series of 18 exhortations or imperatives that we need to live by. Now, church, I have some really good news for you. I don't have an 18-point sermon today, so that's really you know, good news. But I do, I do want to walk through these because this is really painting a picture of what it looks like, the impact of going all in for God that that has on a relationship. So I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word today? Now church, are you, are you ready for a tough passage? Because this is it. This is so much easier to read than it is to do. But with God's help, we can do it. Let's look at it. Verse 1. Paul writes this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now skip down to verse 9. We'll go through verse 18. Let love be genuine. 
Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. In this passage, I want to share with you four choices for peaceful relationships. And I think this is going to be especially applicable during the holiday season. Four choices really for peaceful relationships. Number one, choose to be a blessing. Choose to be a blessing. All right, let me show it to you. Uh, Let's ground it right into the text. Verse 14, he says this, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. You see that right in verse 14? Now, you could easily translate this, bless those who disagree with you. Bless those who see it differently from you. Bless those who malign you. Bless those who call you names. You could translate it, bless those who betray you. You could translate it any number of ways. Just take your pick, whatever applies to your situation right now. Now, the question then becomes, what does it mean, what does it mean to bless? And uh, the word bless in Greek is the word eulageo, okay? It's a compound word. They've taken two words and put them together. You means good. Legeo means uh, words, okay? So good words. It literally means to... To, uh, to speak well of. That's where we get the word eulageo is where we, where we get the word eulogy from. And so it literally means to speak well of and to wish the best blessings for someone else. So here's what it would sound like. Speak well of and wish best blessings for someone who betrays you. Speak well of and wish best blessings for someone who ridicules you. Speak well of and wish best blessings for someone who disagrees with you. Speak well of and wish best blessings for someone who hates you. That's what he's talking about. And so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, you know, it's, it's really easy for me to speak well of you and to wish best blessings for you if I like you. But if I don't like you, that's a different story altogether. I mean, it's really easy to love those who love you, is it not? Like, it's really easy to be kind to those who are kind to you. It's really easy to be kind to and love those who agree with you and kind of see it your way, but it's completely different to love those and to be kind to those who are mean to you. And they're just consistently mean. That's really hard. 
That's really, that is really a challenge. And so it really takes on a whole different level of seriousness when you're talking about loving somebody who belittles me, loving somebody who ridicules me, loving somebody who calls me names and, you know, just looks, looks down on me. Now, let me, let me just kind of shoot straight. There's, there is something, there's something very dark and twisted in me that when something bad happens to someone I don't like, I kind of like it. I'm being serious. That's how sick and twisted I am. Something bad happens to someone I don't like. There's a part of me that goes, yes. You know, I'm driving on the interstate highway and I look in my rearview mirror and somebody is right under my bumper. You ever done that? You're like, whoa, my goodness. They're like under your bumper. They get any closer, they're gonna be in my trunk. You know what I mean? So I'm driving down the road, I'm looking at this and, you know, there's a lot of traffic, so I'm trying to get over. I can't get over. There's not a spot for me over there, but, man, they're barreling down right on me. And so finally, after, you know, a mile or two, I'm able to get over, and then they just fly by 100 miles an hour. And then they wave the number one sign at me, which I don't understand what that means. But, um, and then I'm, you know, drive five to ten more miles down the road, and then I see that same car pulled over by a state trooper on the side of the road. Now, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, I'm going to slow down, roll down my window and say, you reap what you sow, you filthy animal. That's what I want to do. <laughs> I'm serious. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, be a blessing. Be a blessing. Think of the person it's hard for you to love. Be a blessing to them. That's the gospel. That's it. It's so simple. That, that's, that is really what he's talking about. Do you know in the Greek language, this is a present imperative, which means when you're told to do it, you got to do it. It's not, it's not optional. It's an imperative. And, and, and get this. It's in the continual sense. So Greek grammar has a continual sense. So it's not something you just do one time. You keep on doing it. You keep on be a blessing to that person that's really difficult to love. So here's, here's how you could think of it. Here's the principle. Be a continual blessing to those who are a continual problem in your life. That's it. That is what he is saying in verse 14. And so if you want to live at peace with someone who's very difficult to get along with, just let your focus be on just being a continual blessing as they are a continual problem to you. This comes right out of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preached this in Matthew 4, 43 and 44. I think Paul got it from the Sermon on the Mount. So, but, you know, here's what it says. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There it is. This is a gospel heart. This is grace and love flowing out of a heart transformed by the gospel. It's not about them. It's just about you responding in that way. I love the message paraphrase of this. Um, the message records this. Love your enemies when someone gives you a hard time. Respond with the energies of prayer. I love that phrase. It's, it's a great sentence. Respond with the energies of prayer. 
Because what, you are, what you're doing is you are not only wishing best blessings for them, you are praying best blessings for them. That's, that's what he's talking about. Now, how do we even start this? How do we even begin with this? Because I, because I think the reality is a lot of us struggle with this, me included, put me at the front of the line. How do we even get started with this? I think first we have to start with just confessing that we don't do this, that we're not a continual blessing. I think that's where it begins. Just owning that, you know, sometimes I don't respond this way and confessing it to God and owning it with God and seeing that, that God asks ask of me something that's very different than what, I'm, than what I'm giving. I think that's where it begins. And then secondly, I think it means starting your day with your prayer being, Lord, let me be a blessing today. To anybody that I come in contact with, let, just use me to be a blessing I just want to be a blessing to you first and foremost, God, and then I want to be a blessing to anybody you choose to bring across my path. That's it. That's all I want to do. And it doesn't mean I have to like them. I mean, it could be somebody that I love. It could be somebody I don't love. It could be somebody that hates me. It could be somebody that doesn't hate me. It doesn't matter. I simply want to be a blessing. And then you start looking for those, those opportunities to be a blessing. Because when you start praying at church, God's going to start working. He's going to start working. He's going to show up. And he wants to see how serious you are. I was reading about this couple, Ricky and Tony Sexton. They're, they're from Virginia. This happened a few years ago. And um, they were held hostage in their own home in Virginia. So Tony was out walking the dog in front of her house. And then all of a sudden, this car came speeding around down the road, pulled right into their driveway, came to a screeching halt. This couple got out of the car, they're eluding justice. And, uh, and so they get out of the car, they both point pistols at her and say, get in your house right now, we're going in. And so, and so they, you know, she goes in the house, they're being held at gunpoint and uh, it's a hostage situation because the police arrive right, right behind them. So they're in this hostage situation and the Sextons happen to be, happen to be Christians. Just happen to be Christians. Just happen to be they just happened to pick their house, you know, right there. And uh, so Ricky and Tony, as the article was saying, they started just listening to their story. And as they listened, they said, hey, are you guys hungry? Can we fix you something to eat? And they're like, yeah, we're, we're kind of hungry. So they fixed them dinner. And, uh, you know, they, they just listened to their story. And they just stopped and said, hey, can we just pray for you guys? We think you're, you're really struggling. Would you mind just, we, we just pray for you right now? And they're like, yeah, let's do that. And then they, they even showed gospel videos. I don't know what video they showed, but they showed some video to them that shared the gospel. And they just listened to them and they just focused on loving them in the middle of a hostage situation. Isn't that amazing? And uh, the standoff was, was really had an unusual twist because the hostage negotiator, the, the lead officer negotiating trying to get the Sextons out of there, got to a place where they were real close to letting them go and the Sextons wouldn't leave. <laughs> they were like, no, this is our house. We're going to stay in here with them. We're going to minister to them. And so that was kind of frustrating to the police. But finally, after, you know, after um, a few hours, they were able to talk this fugitive couple right out of, their, right out of this house. And uh, it was interesting because, because the couple left them a thank you note with $135 in it and said, thank you so much for praying for us and listening to us. Uh, love, Angela and Dennis was their names. Isn't that interesting? And then they got arrested and went off to jail. So, <laughs> And they lived happily ever after, right? Um, now, if they can do that in their circumstance, by God's grace, you can do it in yours. 
you can do it. Because God's already given you the power. You just got to get your heart there. You just got to get your heart ready. So choose to be a blessing. That's the key to living at peace. Let your focus be, be a blessing. Number two, choose humility over winning. Choose humility over winning. Look at verse 16. The Apostle Paul says this, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. You could sum up that entire verse with these two words, choose humility. That's what that entire verse is about. That's what he's saying. Just, just walk in humility. Just walk in humility. What is humility? Humility is just seeing yourself as God sees you and then seeing other people as God sees them. That's what it is. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says, live in harmony with one another. What he's talking about in the original language there is have a mindset of unity towards them. Let your mind be set on harmony and unity as you think about them. So what you think about the other person is really, really important. It's going to affect how you feel, and then it's going to affect what you do. It's going to affect your actions. So how you think is going to lead to an action. So it's really, really important that we view them and think of them the way God thinks of them. Now, I want you to think about the person in your life that's really difficult to love right now. From your perspective, are they a piece of work? Or are they God's piece of work? There's a big difference. Are they trash and just not worth your time? Or are they image bearers of God? Even though the image may be marred, because it is in all of us, but which one is it? See, how you think of them, how you frame them, is really going to impact how you treat them. Are they unredeemable in your eyes? A lost cause, you just give up hope? Or are they someone that Jesus created and Jesus died for? Which one is it? Because it can't be both. So you've got to choose, church, how you're going to think and how you're going to view other people. And so the key to living at peace with someone is seeing them as Christ sees them, having the mind of Christ. That's what it is. Now, C.S. Lewis gives us great insight into this on how we are to see each other. This, I love this quote. He says this, The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. A load so heavy that only humility, get it? Humility can carry it. And the backs of the proud will be broken because they can't carry this load. He says it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. He's not talking about we become gods and goddesses. He's talking about we become like God. He knows, he knows what the work of sanctification is all about. He says it's a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would have strongly be tempted to worship. Or else a whore and a corruption such as you now meet if at all, only in a nightmare. It's going to be one of those two extremes. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or other of these destinations. Now, church, do you understand what he's saying here? He's saying that, the, that all of you, the burden, the load, the weight of you being everything God wants you to be, that load and weight and burden falls squarely on me for you to realize it. 
Not me as a pastor, me as just a person. And then the load and, and then the weight of me becoming everything that God wants me to be lands squarely on you. That's the truth. That's what he's saying. And only humility can carry that load. And, and what, he's, what he's saying here is this, that, that God, is, God is working. He's going to transform us either into glory after glory after glory, or we're going to resist and be transformed into something that looks different. But, but his point is this, how we relate to one another is either pushing, we're either pushing people towards that glory or we are pushing people towards hell by how we talk to them, how we relate to them, and how we see them. Does that make sense? That is absolutely huge. Man, that should motivate us in every way to see what is ultimately most important. And to understand this takes humility. To see this in action takes tremendous humility. It takes you stepping off the throne of your life and letting God take his proper place in your life. He goes on to say, he says this, don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Now this is, this is really interesting because he is really acknowledging that in the world we have different classifications for people. We got good people and bad people. We got important people. We got unimportant people. And what he's saying here is this, in the kingdom of God, there are no unimportant people. There are no, there's no hierarchy in heaven. People are people, people are image bearers of God, and all people are loved by God. So that's our perspective. It's, it, and so he tells them very practically, don't be proud, don't act like you're something. Associate with the lowly, what the world says are the lowly, but never be wise in your own sight. So in other words, you need to see the image of God in every person you come in contact with because it's there, every single person. Now, this one is really interesting, never be wise in your own sight. Uh, let's just apply that to politics for a minute. Um, let's just kind of think about the political discourse uh, that happens uh, so much. You know, for a lot of times, the, our political discussions are really about winning and losing. You know, it's about us looking wise in our own eyes, us looking a certain way. And that's why these things can get sideways and personal really fast. Because if we perceive that we're, we're losing and we perceive that, you know, somebody disagrees with us, then, then they're really rejecting us. You know what I'm saying? And it's kind of a judgment on us. And, and so that starts getting us irritated. So, so we just tit for tat and we just, you know, get really angry. And, and what it could reveal is if, if it's affecting us in that way, Maybe what it's revealing is my identity is more wrapped up in my politics than in my relationship with Christ. And that's a serious thing. Maybe we're more grounded in being a Republican or being a Democrat than we are really being rooted in Christ. Maybe that's the issue. You know, you know how you could find out, you could think about your own funeral you know, you were to die and, you know, I was going to do your eulogy. What would you want me to say about you? Would you want me to outline all your political positions and all the candidates you voted for? Or would you rather, you'd rather me talk about your love for Jesus and your love for people? See, how you answer that question, that's a big deal. 
and it reveals where your identity is. And you may have the right take on politics. I don't know. I just know this, that when we step into heaven, we're not going to need a Republican philosophy and we're not going to need a Democrat philosophy in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? Because relationships will outlast our politics. And we are going to live in a kingdom and justice will reign like the noonday sun. I can't wait for that. So really, humility is just walking around with that perspective. Just, just keeping things in perspective. You, you know, and I'm not saying that politics is not important. It is. I love politics. I'm a political junkie. I'm really interested in it. I don't know why. It's just a disease that I have. Um, but it's not who I am. That doesn't define me. And uh, it shouldn't define us as believers. So choose humility over winning. And man, you'll have peace. Number three, choose peace over tension. Let me show you this in verse 18. This is, this is a doozy right here. All right, so he, this is going to hit us all. So he says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. All right, so there's three parts of this. If possible, that's the first one. Now that, that shows me the Apostle Paul is very realistic about relationships. It shows me he's been around the block a few times, right? He's been through this. He's experienced this very thing. Read the New Testament and you'll see I mean, they're, they're, he had difficult relationships all over the place. So just pay attention to the names that he's mentioning um, and some of the things that, they, that people did to him. Um, but he's saying here, it's not always possible to live at peace with someone. He's acknowledging that's a real thing, that it may not be possible to have a peaceful relationship. But what he does say is this, he says this, so far as it depends upon you. So what he's talking about there is this means he wants you to do what you know God is asking you to do. He wants you to respond the right way in that, in that strained relationship. He wants you to follow God's will and God's word in how you relate to them. He's, he's acknowledging that we can't control the actions of someone else, but we can control ours. We can't control the words that somebody else says, the hurtful words that they say to us. But we can control ours. You see what I mean? So, so, if, so if we're realizing, if we're doing all that we can do by the grace of God, we're going we're gonna to be at peace even though we may not be at peace with someone. And that's where you want to be. You want to be in a place where this other person, they may hate you for whatever. Just make sure the whatever, make sure that if they hate you for some reason, it's not your fault. Like you didn't do anything to hurt them. That's what I think he is really talking about. And I think a lot of times what we do in these in strained relationships, this is what I've seen over and over again, is we will justify our sinful behavior because of their sinful behavior. Well, they started it. And you finished it. So therefore, you're justified, right? You know, they started cussing at you. So what did you do? Well, you cussed right back at them. You know, you're like your, you know, like your children again, right? Well, they started it. 
they, they criticize you, so you criticize them back. And so you feel totally justified in relating to them and how, you know, they're relating to you sinfully. And, and what he's saying here is you can't do that. Two wrongs don't make a right. You have a gospel heart. You have a loving heart. You have Jesus in your heart. Jesus, when they were beating him to a pulp, he didn't, you know, he didn't respond back tit for tat. He didn't, he didn't do that. He, he just chose to respond in grace and mercy. So, so that's really important that we examine how we're responding. I'm not held accountable. Here's the thing. I'm not held accountable for how this other person responds. I'm held accountable for how I respond. I will give an account for my words, my actions, my motives. I will give an account of that. Not theirs. So I need to make sure that I am dialed in to the grace and the mercy of God. So I really think verse 18, he's really, he's really just talking about uh, family estrangement in relationships. He's talking about, he's really talking about uh, doing everything that you can to make that relationship right again. I was reading an article this week about family estrangement, and uh, it was an interesting article because they surveyed families all over the United States, and they asked them about, do you have a, an estranged relationship within your family? And 25% of the people responded saying, yes, there's somebody in my family I'm not even speaking to. And according to the article, um, you know, social researchers, psychologists, the whole, whole nine yards, they really think the number's going up. And, and the most popular common denominator in the family conflict was political differences. That that was what was separating people more than anything. Now, here's the question, church. What does God want you to do? What does he want me to do if we have an estranged relationship? Well, he tells us. It's possible, as much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. That's what he wants us to do. You see, life is learning about, life is all about learning how to love. It's not about making money. It's not about being famous. It's not about achieving all of these things. It's really about learning how to love. And so God will put difficult people in our path because he wants us to learn how to love. Because he's getting us ready for heaven because love is going to characterize heaven. But we're in the fitness center right now. We're getting our love muscles worked out right now. So that means there are people in your path that God is using to change you and to grow you. And what he wants for us is to make every effort to maintain relationships and not discard them whenever there's a rift, a hurt, or a conflict. That's what he wants. That's his will. And so, in fact, the Bible says that God has, has actually given us the ministry of restoring relationships. Did you know that you were in the ministry? Did you know that? You guys thought I was the only one in the ministry, right? No, you're in the ministry too because 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 tells us we've been given a ministry. Notice the ministry that we've been given. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So not only did God send Jesus to reconcile us, but then in turn, he turned around and handed us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, which he is doing right now. May not seem like it, you know, on the news channel, but he is. 
not counting their trespasses against them. That's grace and mercy. We, we need a whole dose of that. And then lastly, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, what is the message of reconciliation? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. He died for us. The biggest conflict you could have in the entire universe, men and women rebelling against God, creating a chasm, and what does God do? He makes peace. He gives up his son. That's what he does. And so, and so we are to live in that peacemaking pattern. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are those who go and make peace. Now you see this in Corinthians. I, 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 I'm hoping you're reading the Bible regularly. You need to be reading the Bible. But if you want to know chapter and verse about what I'm talking about, just read Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. That church was so broken and dysfunctional. I, I, I don't know why. He probably was tempted to give up on them at some point because there were, they were backbiting each other. There were cliques. There were divisions. It, you know, I mean, it was just a problem church. They, they, had, they had Christians suing each other in this church. They were going to the Roman authorities, asking them to work out their issues, and they, they wouldn't even, you know, they wouldn't even take it, you know, to their pastors or to the elders. The Apostle Paul's like, what are you guys doing? This is a, this is, this is a black eye on Jesus. And so he unpacks that in that letter. He just explains how do, you, how do we love each other. Now, let's just get back to it. You have an estranged relationship. There's a pretty good chance there's a significant amount of us have some kind of estranged relationship. What do you do? Well, first, I think we start with Matthew 5.23, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' teaching here. He says, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the, before the altar, and then go. First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. He's talking about relationships are so important that if you have a strained relationship right now, you should leave the worship service and go make it right. That's what he says. Like, leave your gift, go make it right, then come back and then offer, then offer your gift. So you know that somebody has something against you. There's a rift, there's a conflict, there's a hurt, there's a wound, whatever, and you haven't made it right. You go make it right. And you say, I just, I'm sorry. I want to ask for your forgiveness. I want to repent. I want to change. And man, that goes a long way. All right, now what if, what if you have something against someone else? Maybe they've hurt you. What do you do in that situation? Well, Jesus tells them, Jesus tells us, you need to go and reconcile that too. We see this in Matthew 18, 15. Now, besides worrying, this is the one command in scripture that is broken more than all the others, all right? Worrying's number one on the list. This one's number two. Uh, notice what he says, Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. And so if, they've, if somebody sinned against you, you need to go talk it out with them, not through another person. You don't go tell 10 people because when you're hurt, that's kind of typically what we do. We go tell 10 people this person, you know, what this person did, but we never go to the person. And what do we say? Well, I don't like conflict. You know, I don't like conflict. Well, the Bible says that you have to go and, and point it out. You got to go make the relationship right. Now, there's a whole process underneath Matthew 18, 15 that, you know, that I can't get to now. But basically, he says this. 
if your brother or sister listens to you, then you'll be at peace in that relationship. Um, Otherwise, you'll just have peace because you know you've done everything you can. So, So if you want God's blessing on your relationships, you do this and you do it quickly uh, as, as God brings it to mind. Now, here's the last one. Choose to be a living sacrifice. Choose to be a living sacrifice. This is really the most important one, which I put, which I put at last. And, and, and let me just kind of explain it to you this way. As I think about being a blessing, as I think about humility, as I think about taking initiative and, and seeking peace instead of, instead of tension, Church, this is, this is not easy. This is hard. I don't always want to do this. I, I don't always feel like doing it. You know, when Jesus says, you know, when somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek as well, I don't always want to do that. I want to hit their cheek. By the way, Jesus is talking about insulting people so when somebody insults you, you turn the other cheek, he's not advocating not defending yourself, okay? He's not advocating that at all. He's talking about, you know, somebody insulting you kind of socially, you just turn the other cheek. You just look over it. That, that's what he's really talking about. But here's the thing, church. There's a part of me that doesn't want to do that. And uh, I don't, I don't want to bless someone. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to overlook an offense. I don't want to choose humility. There, I just want to get revenge. A lot of times that's just kind of where I'm at. How in the world do we overcome that? Well, let me show it to you in Romans 12.1. I'm going to end with this, all right? Go back to, to chapter 12, verse 1, because the key to the passage is right in verse 1. It unlocks the entire thing. I appeal to you, he says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God couple of things I want you to notice there. He uses the word therefore, which means you've got to pay attention to what he said before. So, so in light of the first 11 chapters that he has just explained, and he summarizes that with the mercies of God. So basically what he's saying is this. I've already explained to you the mercies of God. Go back, think through the mercies of God for you, that we were that we are guilty, that we are sinful, that we are without excuse, that we were separated from God, but God gave up what was most precious to him to reconcile us to him. That God did all of that. So in light of all that he has said in in chapters one through 11, which is the gospel, in light of the grace that he's poured out in my life, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. That's the key. You see, when we realize the grace that God has shown to us, it gives us the power to be what God wants us to be. We have the power of the Holy Spirit because why? We're doing what he's telling us to do. We are offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. Now, think about what that means. A lot of times, you know, when you think of sacrifices, we think, we think sacrifices as dead, you know. When, when God's people in the Old Testament, when they would go to the temple, they would sacrifice sheep and bulls. And when they were done, that little sheepy was dead. That bull was dead. There's no getting up off the altar from there. And so, and so 
they sacrificed animals. Animals paid the full price for, you know, as, as kind of a, a covering for our sins. And so they didn't, they didn't go to the sheep pen and ask for volunteers for worship that day. You guys know what I mean? I mean, the sheep never said, bah, bah, you know, take me, take me, I'll go first, you know. They never said that. But here's the gospel. They didn't ask for volunteers, but Jesus volunteered. He volunteered. He laid down his life on his own accord. Jesus says this, no one, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. You know why? Because he loves you. He volunteered. And he went all the way. And so the result of that is because of that grace and mercy, I can be a living sacrifice. I can give my all to God. Everything that I am everything that I have, everything that I want to be. My past, my sinful past, my present, my future, I can give it all to him and live and have life, the life of God in me. And, and when, I, when I offer myself up to him as a living sacrifice, then the spirit of God is free to move through me and to love other people through me and to help me look over offenses and to help me to forgive and to help me to turn the other cheek and to help me to serve. I have a power that's not my own. Why? Because of the love of Christ. He did that for me. The very least that I could do is say, God, take all that I have. It's the least that I could give back to you. So how do we love others? Well, we just come to Christ, right? We just come to Christ. I love the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so that's how and why. That's the motive. That's the enablement if you will of me getting on my knees before God and say God just use me today just love people through me today I'm gonna run out I'm gonna run out of love but you never run out God so fill me up fill me up and I want to just challenge you today church as you think about the Christmas season you think about your family gatherings office Christmas party whatever it is I want to challenge you to love that person that's difficult for you to love let's pray together Heavenly Father, you love us with a love that we can't even fathom. We can barely describe it. But I thank you, we can know it. And we can experience it. And I thank you that, if, that the foundation of a life of love begins with your life of love in us. And so, I, so God, I just pray that you would move us to be a loving people, that you would change us to be a loving people, that people would just see a difference in us, that they would just see that we're not about winning or losing. We're not about looking good and smart in our own eyes. But we just want to bring glory and honor to Jesus. And so God, I just pray, you know all the strained relationships. We pray for miracles this week in relationships. We pray that there would be relationships restored 
as kind and loving and forgiving words are communicated. Would you just work? I don't even know just a tenth of all that's happening in, in the lives of everybody that's listening right now. I, don't, I have no idea, but God, you know, and you're working. Would you just, would you work a miracle? Work a hundred, work, work 500. And just open our eyes so that we can see what you're doing. Even when we're, we feel like giving up. Thank you, God, you didn't give up on us. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm gonna ask you if you'll just take this all this calm card out. There should, should be one on the seat that you sat down and uh, they're gonna bring the lights up. And here's what I want you to do with this card. I want you to write the name of a person or persons that you are having a hard time loving this, this year, right now. So it could be a, a strained relationship. It could be somebody that's just a challenge for you. It could be any number of those things. Write down their name. And then I want, I want to ask you, what are you going to do this week to be a blessing, to initiate peace? What action do you need to take? To really restore that relationship or just to bless it so it could be that you're going to bring a meal to them it could be that you're going to pray for them every day write that down it could be that you're going to go talk to them this afternoon and make it right i don't know what i don't know what it is you need to ask the holy spirit to guide you he will guide you much better than i could i promise so so ask him and then do it this week so what i want you to do is write that on your card and then take it with you you can you know, you can put it in your Bible, you can, you can tape it to your refrigerator, you can hang it on the mirror of your car, wherever it is, so that it will remind you and keep it in front of you that this, this is your step this week, okay? We're, we're going to practice loving people. Everybody get it? Good. All right, let's stand together as we worship.